Beloved, we have come to the final evening of our services. And it's that way in life that we wait for something to come, and then quickly it is gone, and never does it return again. And for that reason, we await that day when we will be at services which will never, never end. They'll be for all eternity, my beloved. And we cannot comprehend it, we cannot know what it will be like. But when we do arrive at that blessedness, then it will be opened fully unto our hearts and to our souls. As we have been together, I have been here in poverty. And that's all I have to offer is poverty. But he has something rich to give unto the needy heart. And we are thankful that he is among us and present with us. We do not have to go to heaven to find him. We do not have to go beyond the seas to find him. But he is nigh unto us and near unto us. And even this evening of grace, he is here among us and in our midst. And may it be that it will be that way in our homes also that Christ will be there. There's uh, the little incident about a girl that was asked to say a, a grace, and she says, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, and then she stopped. And her mother said, that. why did you stop? She says, I don't want Jesus to be a guest. I want him to be here always. And that's what we ask for, that he will always be in our midst and among us. This evening, I will read briefly from 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, beginning of the chapter. And I read in Jesus' name, 1 Corinthians, second chapter, beginning with the first verse. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Beloved, the Apostle Paul, speaking of himself, that he has not come with excellency of speech 
or of wisdom to declare the testimony of God. And if it is that way with Paul, then how much more for us frail vessels who do not have tongues of gold, we do not have the gifts that there are many preachers have, and I know I've heard many people say when they have listened to TV and radio preachers that, oh, you should hear those kind of gifts, that in our church, the Apostolic Lutheran Church, we don't have anything. Anyway, long years ago in my younger days, I was acquainted with a, a Finnish newscaster in the, the Copper Country of Michigan. And when you would talk to him about Christianity, he says, you know, there's one thing about the Lestadian church. When you go there, you know what they're going to preach before you get there. Because they always preach the same thing. Repentance and remission of sins. And that's the way people feel today. We want something different. Something new. Something that will just seize us and we can say that, well, now this is the kind of preaching we like to hear. But Paul here testifies that he came not with excellency of speech or wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when Paul makes a statement, if you will look at this epistle to the Corinthians, the first epistle, you know as well as I do that Paul wrote about many things besides Christ Jesus and him crucified. There's one chapter, that's the resurrection chapter, the 15th chapter, and there's admonitions and teachings in so many, many places in this first epistle. So what he is telling us, that for our salvation and our redemption, that there's nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is our all in all, as we heard in the prayer this evening, in which the first chapter makes known in the 30th verse, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And Christ has become all those things to the believing child of God. He is our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification and redemption. But then whenever we look at this and it speaks about sanctification, then I feel that we want to carefully examine this matter of sanctification. Because in Christ Jesus we are entirely sanctified. We are just as holy as he is. But there is another sanctification of which the word of God speaks of, and that's found in 1 Thessalonians in the fourth chapter, where Paul says, this is our sanctification, that we abstain from fornication, and that we keep our members, because we have been called not unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So the scripture always speaks of a twofold sanctification. There's that sanctification that is in Christ Jesus, which avails before a righteous God. But in our lives and in our journey, that there has to be sanctification in our life. And this speaks to the world. The world cannot see our hearts. They do not know our hearts. But our witness of our lives is that which the world sees, and it's the Bible that they read. 
And oh may it be then as God's people and as the children of God that this sanctification is in our lives and in our journey. And then going back to Jesus and him crucified. I sometimes feel that even we as children of God, we fail to know what Christ has done for us. You know, it's easy to believe that he has died for adultery and murder and all the great sins of this world. But as we struggle in our innermost hearts, and I struggle together with you, I beloved. You know, man in his fallen state, he is an unbeliever. And we, as children of God, we have unbelief in our fallen nature. And when we read of that man in the scriptures, whose son was healed, and he said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And this is the daily struggle of God's child. And we as children of God, then many times we feel that I don't really believe. And again, we have to carefully separate the fact that there is that which is born of God, and that is there is that which is our fallen nature. And it's so hard for God's child to distinguish this. There are many, many whose hearts condemn them. But that does not mean that God condemns them. Our heart has a right to condemn us just as the devil has a right to condemn us. But God who sees us in his beloved son and in the, the blessedness of the redemption, he sees us as his perfect child without spot and without blemish. But in when Christ died for us, then, he died for everything that we are. He died for our unbelief. He died for our doubts. He died for our fears. He died for our hypocrisy. He died for our pride, for our honor, and everything that belongs to us. And that's the kind of a savior he is, then, my beloved. He has taken upon himself everything that belongs to us. And is it any wonder, then, that on the cross, that his heart broke as he bore our sin debt. And with that heart that was broken then for us and in our place, then our hearts, which condemn us so often, that there is a place of refuge for us. And Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He says that in weakness and in fear. And who can come to this place to preach God's word without fear in his heart? We are handling the very word of life itself. And with our mortal tongues, how can we speak of it? And our understanding also, it is so small and so little. And there are so many things in the scriptures that we do not understand. And I have countless questions asked of me, uh, and many times I cannot answer them. And I always have to appeal to Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the things that are revealed belong unto us and our children, but the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And there are so many things that we have to leave at that place. And as we come then to the fifth verse, it says that your faith 
should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And at this place, I want to speak about faith. And I, again, I'm just going to speak to you openly about this matter of faith. You know, in the time of my, my youth, in the time of Christianity that I remember so vividly, there was a distinction between living faith and dead faith. And we know the scripture tells us that even the devil believes and trembles with fear. And we hear much about faith. But that living faith which has been given unto us, it has been given to us by grace. And we know that in Acts 18th chapter, when Apollos uh, was instructed more perfectly, then he went to strengthen those who believed by grace. And it also it speaks of Abraham in the fourth chapter of Romans, that he believed by grace. And then something has happened in our midst, and I've been greatly troubled by this, and I have spoken of it, uh, both Martha and I, to preachers, and they become very upset with us. And this is the statement that has come, come to be among us, that we believe by faith. And as far as scripture is concerning, we believe by grace. Then there's something about this that I think we want to consider and consider seriously. Faith cannot trust in faith, but faith must trust in Christ Jesus, the Redeemer and the Savior. Our faith cannot be turned towards faith because that will never, never avail. But when our faith is turned toward Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and when we behold him as the hope of our salvation, then our faith is founded upon Christ and Christ alone. And it is also a faith that is a living faith that will stand in time so that we can safely reach the harbor of rest. Then speaking of wisdom, we have heard this evening, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now he's speaking about the true wisdom. And then in the verse that, uh, that followed this, it says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And tonight, I don't want to be critical. I know that this ninth verse usually is explained as heaven. That it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And I have no objection to it be being explained that way. But from the context of this scripture that we have read tonight, it is speaking about something altogether different than this. It is speaking about redemption. 
And I remember once in chapel many years ago, I read from this text, and as I referred this to redemption, it was one of those dear old Christian sisters that she just began to rejoice and praise and thank God. And when redemption is open to our hearts, how can it be otherwise? But we can praise and thank, thank God for his great grace unto us. And the reason I say it is that way because the context is speaking about Christ crucified. And then the fact that the 10th verse says, But God hath revealed him unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. If it was speaking of heaven, then we would all know just what heaven is like. But that is not revealed to us now. But redemption is revealed to us. And redemption is revealed to us so that we can attain unto heaven, my beloved. And Christ has prepared this all for us. Then from here, I just want to share with you some scattered scattered thoughts because it seems like I always leave everything undone. One thing that um, has been questioned again and again among us is the matter of confession. And I know there are those who feel that confession is not necessary and they wonder that what do we confess and when do we confess it. And I would just like to share with you my own experience when I began to preach and the old preacher, Ted Gunnery, in Minneapolis was my mentor. Anyway, Gunnery always said, that, always remember this, that when God forgives us, he forgives all our sins, even if we have never confessed them. And when this is true, we are ready to die, but we are not ready to live. And if a man, uh, death comes to him, he... he Without the confession of these sins, he will inherit eternal life. But when we live, then we have our conscience to deal with. And this is a matter that is so often set aside in this day of grace. And if you will examine the scriptures in this matter of conscience, to my knowledge, it's never used in the Old Testament. But it is used both by Christ and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And Paul then witnesses of himself. He says that I have striven to have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. And when our conscience is troubled, then, beloved, it's so blessed and so good that we have this matter of confession. And not only that, but also because... In our life and journey of sin and our transgressions, we have many times wounded hearts and people. Confession is needful for us so that we can journey and walk here. And is there anyone here tonight who has had a troubled conscience? Is there anyone here who in the night watch has wrestled within themselves when their conscience condemns them? And they know that they stand before a righteous God and you want peace for your conscience. Oh, how sweet it is and how blessed it is when you can open your heart and speak of it. And I pray and I ask God for your heart, for my heart, 
that with our hearts, with our sins, that we do acknowledge them. And then it's a special word just to us, this matter of the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins and the encouragement for us to journey onward as a child, child of God. And in this blessedness then, I just so rejoice in the teaching of our Lestadian awakening. And I'm so thankful that we have the blessing and the privilege of the confession of our sins. But who knows his sins, that he has confessed all his sins. And we do not need to search our hearts and try to find all the things that we have to confess. But when things burden us and they press upon our hearts, we know it's God speaking to us. And then how sweet it is when somebody comes to us with their heart and they begin to speak about their sins and want comfort. And it's always that way that our heart is open too. And there two sinners meet. And how many blessed services there have been between two sinners when they begin to speak of their hearts. And oh, how I thank God for this blessing and how I hope that it can always abide with us and among us. That we do not become such that we do not need to clear our heart and our conscience. And then at night when we go to bed and we close our eyes and sleep and we can feel that truly if Jesus comes today, I am ready and prepared in every way. And we know that he is coming, coming one day very, very soon. Then the other thing I have upon my heart this evening when I spoke about about Jacob and his experiences, I did not uh, fulfill a promise that I made that it would return to Jacob's experiences later. But as I have looked at Jacob when he had the dream, Jacob was then in an awakened state because he had sins and transgressions in his life. That's why it was to him a dreadful place. But in the second experience, when he wrestled with the unknown man, that then this was probably Jacob's experience of faith and of redemption and new birth. And I speak of it in that light because there's something that I want to yet share with you in these matters. I have tonight referred to the eye hath not seen, the ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And I have said that from the context of this scripture that it is speaking of redemption. Anyway, with God's word then, if you speak to people in all churches and all persuasions and all understanding, they all say that we believe the word of God. But it's alarming sometimes what is done with God's word. And I just want to share with you a little experience that I've had in the past month. I've had contact with a preacher in Montana. He's from the old paths, strict Baptist. And it's no affiliation with any Baptist in the United States, but with the Baptist Church in England. And uh, he had somewhere obtained a tape of one of my sermons, and we had just come back from our fall, fall trip in the Midwest. 
and our phone rang, and it was Pastor Boma on the telephone. And he said, I'd like to have you come and preach in our church that uh, we need preaching, such as we heard. So I told him, well, I'd call him back. And the reason I said I'd call him back is because I wanted to have some brother go with me. So I did speak to a brother who promised that he would go with. So I called called him back and I said that uh, that we would come the first Sunday in November. And uh, two days later, the telephone rang. And he says, I have a question to ask you. Do you believe in limited atonement? And of course, I'm sure for most of you, you would have no idea what to reply to that. But I have tried to search these things because we run into them all the time. And the limited atonement is that Christ died only for the elect, for those who are predestinated to be saved. He did not die for all mankind. So when you place before them then the fact that, well, the scripture says that he died for the whole world, he died for all, and likewise that he partook of death for every man, they will say that the scripture does not mean that, but it means that for all of those who are elected to be saved. And consequently, they always add to every scripture, and they look at all scripture through the sovereignty of God, and then they make every scripture fit into this, that they have the sovereignty of God. But beloved, the danger is also for us. And we can read our understandings into the scripture rather than to receive our understanding from God's word. And I war and fight with this in my own life. I'm not saying I'm exempt from it. But beloved, God's word is not that kind of a word that man can manipulate it to his satisfaction. And he can make God's word say what he wants it to say. But the word of God is before us and it means what it says. And oh beloved, when your heart has come to that place that you bow before this word, and you tell God, whatever your word says, does make known, I want to abide there in our lives and in our journey, in our understandings, in our teachings, in everything. And we have to constantly cry out to God, Dear Father, keep my heart that small that I will not take your word and destroy it, but I will submit unto your word. And tonight, beloved, with your heart and with my heart, as we submit unto this word. Then there are so many things that we could speak about, and there's one thing I did in the beginning speak about Advent and the three kinds of Advents. And then there is that Advent, which is the coming of Christ into this world. And this has grown and blown up into a doctrine and a teaching that frightens me. And it frightens me because so many people are being deceived. I wish we wouldn't have to talk about these things, but because they are with us, then we must talk about them. And I don't know uh, how many of you are acquainted with the teaching of millennium as it is in the churches today, but it is a teaching called dispensationalism. And dispensationalism, there are seven dispensations. The church is the sixth one. 
And when the church dispensation ends, then the dispensation is going back to the Jews and to Israel. And I find in God's word no foundation for this teaching. When people ask me if I believe in the millennium, I say yes, I believe in the millennium because the word of God teaches that. But this millennium is not a rule of Christ here on earth. And Christ is not coming here for that reason. But my beloved, when he comes, it has come as the judge of the quick and the dead. And this day is nigh at hand, my beloved. And when you think of our loved ones who are without Christ, without hope, when we think of struggling hearts and souls, then we have to hasten in the labor of living Christianity, and we have to proclaim and make known this word of God unto the hearts of all people. And I also want to lend my trembling lips and my fearful heart to proclaim this, this blessed word of God, the law and the gospel, repentance and remission of sins. And beloved, sin and grace. And oh, may this in abundance be among us and with us. And I ask them of you who are the children of God, will you pray for those who preach the word of God? Will you pray that they will proclaim this word, the whole word of God? And will you, beloved, also pray for me, a weak and frail vessel who has been among you? And it is such then that we leave always so many things undone. And I know when our life ends and God calls us home, there are so many things we have left undone. But we are thankful. God, in the merits of Jesus Christ, in the bleeding wounds of the Savior, that there is a place of refuge for us. And I flee to that refuge this night of grace. And when I close my eyes in the last sleep, I want to close my eyes in that living knowledge that I am God's child because of what Christ has done for me. And what he has done for me has been such a great matter that even now my mortal tongue wants to thank him for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.